Noel Chandler. So happy to be joined by you today. So happy to be joined by you. It's always a pleasure to come on your podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining. I, mm-hmm. Someone did try to throw me off our podcast this week. I know. Um, to try to usurp my authority, my power, because I mentioned yeah. my upcoming, I won't even say it. It's that which, which must not be named. <laughs> yeah. I was stunned by that. That was a very cutthroat review. Even the person that mentioned Joe responded and said, this is pretty savage. So yeah, I don't know what's going on. People are out for blood. Um, anyway, we have Kate Casey coming on. We just finished recording with her. We only had for her for about 35 minutes and she truly is, I mean, nothing is easier than having Kate Casey on the podcast because literally we can just sit back and say almost nothing. Like she is just a font of an incredible analysis. Right. I don't even want to say anything because I just want to literally soak up what she's imparting. Like her, truly her commentary on shows and pop culture is so good and so articulate. It's amazing. So anyway, we're going to cut to that in a little bit, but Chandler and I, because we were supposed to record with her mainly about secrets of Playboy, but then we just started talking about her life, going to a super strict boarding school. We got into housewives, the Lisa Barlow, hot mic moment, Erica Jane versus Jen Shaw, lots of fun, hot topics. So we only maybe did 10 minutes of secrets of playboy. So Chandler and I, we want to talk about our thoughts on this new A&E series for you guys. Cause we really didn't say much during that segment. Cause right. Kate's analysis was honestly, well, and she gave us some good tea about like what's upcoming. Yes. She's seen the full 10 episodes and here's what I'm going to say about that. The way that the series is structured is the first couple episodes, I would say, are not that great. They're not that scintillating. It does, it makes you almost think like, do they really have enough for a 10 episode series on this? But it gets much darker, much more intense as she alludes to. I mean, the things that she drops are truly shocking. So you have to listen to the end to hear that, to hear those tidbits. But before we get to Secrets of Playboy and our thoughts, Chandler, can we, can I talk to you about two two of the commercial enterprises that I have dealings with and Mm -hmm. some blessed miracles that have been bestowed upon me. I would love nothing more. Okay. So there was a JetBlue saga. Remember this? Yes. With your luggage. luggage. Mm -hmm. So the lady told me I could spend a hundred dollars. I spent a thousand dollars. The lady told me I could, the lady said, what was, she said, it's not a, a cap, but spend what's reasonable. Um, Hold on. She told you you could spend a hundred dollars and you knew this going into your extravaganza. Correct. But why? But but, so where did you get this other misinformation that was like literally go to town? Misinformation. How apropos. Um, I got this misinformation from a dear listener who DM'd and was like, yo, this happened to me. I spent 600 bucks. I got my luggage, you know, the next day. And I ended up just getting a lot of free, nice stuff. Right. So that's what that person told me. They did not say it was specifically with JetBlue. They just said this happened to them, okay. but that's all I needed to hear to right, go spend a thousand dollars. The one, but here, here was the keyword. She said, it's not a cap. We just asked that you're reasonable around a hundred dollars. Okay. So I proceed to then go spend a, a grand. Um, I will tell you that there's just this white paper you fill out that you put in your address like your claim number, very short. Mm -hmm. And then they just say, send us your receipts. Yeah. So I sent my receipts in maybe three and a half weeks ago. Yeah. 
and uh nothing just crickets 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 yeah and you sent in a thousand dollars worth of stuff yeah and and I didn't say anything like I had a trip to Mexico the next day that if my bag didn't get there, right. I needed to be prepared for. And the bag yeah. said it would get there at 2 PM, but it didn't get there till 11 PM. So I, you know, did not, I was not sure I would actually receive my luggage. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Anyway. So I did not give any excuses. All I did was fill in my information. I just tossed all my receipts in there. So I will tell you though, that two days ago, I got an email saying to please put in my information so that mm-hmm. I could receive a reimbursement of $972. <gasps> oh my gosh. Just like clockwork. Oh like, my no gosh. Problem. No, that's problem. incredible. That literally makes me so happy. The funny part about it too, is I actually had called, but their like customer service was taking too long, but I had spent probably two hours on the phone on hold with them over the past week or so, because I wanted to talk to whoever's in the office. Cause I'm like, I'm sure this is like a big meeting they're having over all my right, like, just I've like, sent in. Will Lauren's like, will we let her slide or like, how are we going to put the screws to this person who's trying to scam us? Exactly. And so I needed to call in with wow. my justifications. Wow. But I could not get through. And anyway, I was restored. <gasps> that is incredible news. Um, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just like a great example of how you can scam the system and come out on top. Well, the thing is, is it's not really scamming the system because if you don't have your things for a full 24 hours, you need like it's not just like, oh, a hundred dollar. What, how are you supposed to get enough clothes and toilet Right. And you were pretty panicked. $100. I was yeah. utterly panicked. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So anyway, I don't actually even feel like it was a scam. I felt like I just did what I needed to do and hoped that they, I would get reimbursed. So I mean, pretty phenomenal. Yeah, definitely phenomenal. I'm so impressed. I can't believe that I got to benefit from this. Um, wow. Amazing. So that's miracle number one in the commercial enterprises in my life. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jeff okay. Blue. Sorry about the stock hit everyone for the shareholders. Um, okay. Another, the strangest thing happened to me. So for my upcoming trip, my safari, I have ordered probably $800 worth of Zara stuff that I ordered to try on. Okay. Okay. Maybe a little, in a, maybe a little, so glad none of it's coming to my apartment. Oh, wait, indulgent. just kidding. Four to five packages are Okay. Let's not get into it. Let's not get into it. I don't want to fight on the airwaves. Mm-hmm. I did have to send a shop op box to your house, but it should be pretty small. Okay. No, the shop op boxes are the worst because they're always way bigger. And then it's like, I get excited thinking like someone sent me a gift from shop op, which would be like a very nice gift. And then it's not for me. Well, now and... that problem solved. Cause I told you in advance. Thanks so much. And I also address Thanks it to so Chandler, much. Lauren Bledsoe. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I just had to, I had to anyway. Okay. Um, I'm getting besides the point. So anyway, so I have this big Zara order, of course, you know, of the 15 pairs of pants I ordered, um, maybe 12 don't work three work. So I need to return. And we all remember my Zara return experience. Do you remember this from the podcast? Oh boy, do early we. episode. This is a this is a moment that my manager specifically mess, mess, uh, mentioned to me one time and oh, talking really? about how, how he liked the podcast. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh my gosh. Um, that's nice. 
So I'm glad your manager also takes advantage of generous return policies, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. but is also, you know, empathetic when dealing with disgruntled employees. Mm -hmm. Um, Although I would have been way more of a bitch to myself, let's be honest. (sighs) Yeah. Okay. But I'm, but I'm going to. So you order all this stuff. And you I have ordered to the stuff. I have to return it. I have to Uber to the mall. I have to stand on the line. I have to right. haul it there somehow. What does eight hundred dollars so, worth of Zara stuff look like? Like how big are your bags? It's, it's bulky, and there, I don't have any bags all over boxes. <sighs> you know what I mean? So this is not yeah. a simple scenario. Um, I don't have any sort of huge tote I can throw it all in. Um, no. So anyway, you literally so schlep I, boxes to the mall. So let me tell you what happened. So I go okay. on Zara.com. I initiate my return. And at the end, it says my option being in Puerto Rico is arrange for pickup from local courier. Arrange for pickup. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I kid you not. I said arrange for pickup. Two hours later, I got <gasps> a call. Hi, this is Zara. You, we have a, you we're here to pick up your return. We'll be there in what? five minutes. Is it ready? <gasps> And I said, yes, oh, it's ready. Yes, sir. Uh, a, a man shows up at my door. I said, I don't have a label or anything. He says, no problem. We have no problem. Like, we, we label them. No, no big deal. Um, he takes the box, fills with all the stuff and it's out of, out of my life. I feel like this happened. They changed their policy because you were so annoying. Like I literally <laughs> feel like you enacted change in your local community with your annoying returns. Be and that's really special in the world. Mm-hmm. Truly. Wow. Um, Amazing. Impact. It might be a special feature just on my account. I don't know if other people have this in other regions. I think it might be a, a Zara Puerto Rico thing, but they will literally come to your house and take it from you. You don't have to prep it at all. I, I mean, I've folded everything neatly. Tags are still attached. Everything's good, but he didn't look inside the box at all. I also have not received a refund. So someone could just be enjoying like 12 <laughs> pairs of beige pants right now. <laughs> So I don't know what, I don't know. The end of the um, story is not here. That is a exquisite commerce experience. I've often thought about how I would love for there to be some type of service where they would just come to your house and do your returns for you. It's called Package a personal it. assistant. <laughs> right. It's called like literally paying someone from Craigslist, like mom. But no, I, I think that would be a gorgeous service. Like they would take it to DHL or take it to USPS. Like if I could pay someone to just handle that, it would be amazing for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it was, it was truly stunning. And I'm just feeling like I love capitalism right now. I love the focus on the consumer. I love feeling restored and I'm so sorry, but this is just some pro commerce feelings to start off the episode. I mean, our listeners are going to be so pleased to begin the episode with, you know, pro capitalism, more of your cancelable logic. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what's going on with you? Do you have anything to report, to share? Still loving the walking pad? Yeah. Still loving the walking pad. I basically have like three topics that are in my brain right now. It's like, I'm going to Puerto Rico because it's cold outside and I'm upset about how it's cold, the walking pad. And that's about it. Actually, I only have got two. So okay. I wouldn't say that there's nothing crazy new to report. Um, Mom, I think is sending me a box of C's candy in the mail, which is kind of darling. That's yeah, cute. it's really nice. I think mom and dad still think I'm single. Like they love Ben and they know Ben, but I've been like, dad always sends me Valentine stuff. 
That's I guess really he would send cute. it to you too. And he would send it to us, but I always felt like I, it was very special for me because I was typically single on Valentine's day. Um, anyways, that's just like a dark turn. Um, yeah, I'm like not, so single I, and under I, I'm not a spinster. I have day. Yeah. So dark, so dark. Oh my gosh. Our listeners are shaking. Okay. One of, so my dark, one of my darkest Valentine's day was, uh, the Wilkinson center at BYU. Are you familiar? Oh yeah. I've been there. The food court, the cougar eat which is just a really, really sad looking food court. Okay. We, we get in a lot of trouble if we are negative about BYU on this podcast. Right. So well, tread I'll lightly. be honest. I'll, I'll just be honest. BYU has some beautiful parts of its campus. The Cougarie is not one of them. I will say and there's I like spent, a special mediocrity about the Cougarie yes. and about the Wilkinson Center. Well, it's just like it. not a beautiful cafeteria at all. No. Like, you know, like how Rory goes to like the stunning cafeteria at, where is she at? Like Harvard. Har- no, it's hard. Chilton. Chil- no, the Chilton. But I feel like she was some Yale. Yale. Oh, Yale. They had the stunning, like, you know, wooded, beautiful cafeteria. Yeah. It's not that. It has like middle America mall vibes, but not even in like a cute, quirky way. Regardless, I spent a Valentine's Day there eating a Subway sandwich, and that was pretty low. Just so, by yourself. Just by myself. That is dark. I, I know. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because, um, I do feel bad for you. I can just imagine you, you know, solo and single and just shoveling that foot long tuna sub in your you mouth. It was a tuna sandwich. Yeah. And it's foot long because you're single. You know, it doesn't matter if you're bloated who, that night. Who cares? Literally, it doesn't matter at all. I probably was getting a bag of Cheetos too. An exquisite combo at Subway is the tuna sandwich and then a bag of Cheetos and then or a jalapeno chips? soda. Yeah. Well, like not, you know, I don't think the BYU cafeteria was serving my, the, my brand of chips back down um yeah. and then i probably would stop by the um cougar like candy store after and probably like pick up some candy to wash it all down with so good stuff good time you bring up something i'm not i wasn't thinking we'd talk about but i do actually want to address it when i okay. was a kid i feel like i was surrounded by imagery of stunning schools like whether that was the inside of hogwarts beautiful you know beautiful uh I mean in movies yeah like in movies yeah like yeah like okay the kids in Hogwarts they were in stunning castles sure the kids at the OC went to that beautiful modern school with the ocean view and that really cool like cafe area and it was mm-hmm. just so pristine and Rory Gilmore at Chilton yeah and and Yale and I just remember so deeply wanting to go to, and we went to public school. We went to like public school that was a good school. And for as far as teachers went, was Blue Ribbon. We don't mean to brag. Um, mm-hmm. It was a good school education, but in terms of the aesthetic, it was extreme. It, it was old. It was old. It was like one of the oldest schools, I think, in the district. And I was also, I mean, I know Courtney, you know, is best dressed now of all time, but I, I loved getting dressed up in high school and I really wanted an environment. I was voted best dressed. I'll Is this where I'm supposed to that tell there. people that you won best dressed? Like yeah, I was waiting for you to, yeah. for you to drop it. I was voted best, won dressed. best dressed and I was most spirited. So <laughs> that, that just shows the difference in our uh, looks. There's a whole page of me giving fashion and style advice. I really should actually get that and post it because it would be hilarious. Now I mean, I that. think you're wearing long strand pearls in it too. And a, like a tank top. Okay. Yeah. Let's move forward. I don't, can you just focus on the positive please? Yeah. Back to the positives. I wanted a school that dignified my carefully curated outfits and 
that was not the school I went to at all. And I just, no. really, I remember begging mom and dad to send me to private school. If only so that I could just be in a pretty environment. Yeah. Truly. You really wanted to go so to snap. J Sarah. I really, I would have wanted to go to uniform. J Sarah. I just wanted to go to a the little minx school. you are. I just wanted to go to a bougie school. Okay. Yeah. So all the pieces are coming together for everyone. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So I personally then going to BYU, which again, education top notch in my opinion. And there are, there's one area of the campus that is pretty, but other than that, it was basically all built in the seventies and it's just, it's not inspiring architecturally. Let's just put it that way. Lauren, you're going to get in hot water again. I think you should just quit while you're ahead. The mountains are gorgeous, Mm -hmm. but the actual buildings, again, it's not the old world Harvard Ivy league brick and moss. You are a victim. And I'm so sorry. You've had to live through this trauma. (laughs) And I think you're entitled to a lot of self-care because of it. Thank you. I do feel very entitled these days and I appreciate you recognizing that and validating that for me. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's get into secrets of playboy because I'm dying to get your thoughts. I have many, I watched the first three episodes. Um, so do you want to go first or do you want me to lead us off? Lead us off, please. Okay. Because so- I will also say that but the reason why I think you should take point on this is because you have a lot of backstory with Playboy because you mm-hmm. tried to be just kidding, but, but because you have watched, you did apply. Um, you watched um, Girls Next Door, right? Or didn't you read Holly Madison's book? Uh, yes, exactly. I I was an avid watcher of Girls Next Door, much to our parents' chagrin. I remember the moment when I was walking on the treadmill in the garage watching Girls Next Door and dad came in the garage and saw, and let's just say that Horrified. I, was, I was completely forbidden from watching it. Henceforth. Every parent's worth nightmare. It was worth a nightmare. two hour conversation in my parents' room being scolded and, and truthfully told what was totally true, that what I was watching was exploited women from a misogynistic man. And this mm-hmm. was not in any way content that I should be consuming. Right. Not sure those were the exact words, but anyway. Um, but the way that Hugh Hefner is portrayed on the show is very much, and they talk about this on the documentary, very much as like this kind of charming grandfather figure. So obviously it's obvious that Playboy is- gonna... Okay. Oh, I'll just kind of in really quick. Yeah, please. Um, yes. But what was interesting to me about seeing early footage of Hef was that he was attractive. He was a, I thought he was a decently handsome person. Right. Um, but basically for me, like from the time that Hugh Hefner was in my psyche and I even knew about Playboy or anything, like he was a grandpa already. Right. Did you have that? You had that same experience, I'm sure too, where it was just like, he was, he was always graying and looked like someone's ailing grandfather. He was never handsome or like, or even just looked like a normal man. He was always a grandfather for sure. Mm. Never. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely had that experience. Um, And, and so he looked, he obviously looked like a grandfather figure and the show itself was very just kind of, it wasn't sexually explicit at all. Like obviously it touched on the fact that Playboy is a, a men's magazine, but it really was about like the three girls and their, adventures you know Mm -hmm. and their Mm -hmm. hopes and dreams and it wasn't about any sort of any sort of inappropriateness with 
Hugh Hefner. It was extremely PG, actually. Like the worst things about it was probably just the mention that nudity that there is nudity, like in terms of at the parties. Really, that the, the girls would be painted. Yeah, it's extremely tame. Was it on MTV? It was on. I think it was. Uh, no, it was on E. I think mm-hmm. it was on E. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Um, I loved Girls Next Door. I loved Holly Madison. She was my favorite. Um, Why do you feel like you loved it? What were you drawn to about it? I mean, have you ever watched it? No, I've never watched it. And I've always known that you like, like Holly Madison. Yeah, I think that I were... I think I related to Holly, you know, she was a very intense romantic, Mm -hmm. at least seemed that way. Um, she yearned for commitment and for to have kids. And she was, you know, she was kind of always struggling to, to get to that place she wanted to be in the, in quote unquote, her relationship with Hugh Hefner. Right. And, and I think I just liked the way that Bridget was portrayed was kind of just as a bimbo who was kind of just hanging on and she was really nice. And, but kind of, there wasn't very, there wasn't much to her story to sink her teeth into. And then Kendra Wilkinson was portrayed as like the hot, super young one who was, I think 20 or 21 and just a total ditz. And so I just really related to Holly because there was a soulfulness to her story. Anyway, that's touched on in the show. Yeah. That like she's like show, an old soul. Yeah. They show the scene where she like cries giving him the Valentine's Day card. And right. I'm not kidding you. I like remember almost tearing up. Like but, I believed but, in their love. It was so gross. But it's back. crazy then looking at her crying because she explains why she was crying. It was that she felt stupid. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think but she also says in the show, though, that she was in love with him, but in a, a way where she felt like it was Stockholm syndrome. So I think that I totally. think that there was some genuine feelings there if the, if they were like motivated by Stockholm syndrome, but yeah, yeah she says that she was embarrassed. Um, I think she's probably very embarrassed now. Right. Um, I think that was one thing that was shocking to me was just how young these girls are or were when like, and Holly too, I think she was like 21, 22. I think she was more like 27 when she, she was 25. Two? Really? Okay. Well, maybe not Holly, but just, I think now realizing just how young so many of the women there were who like started their like journeys into like their careers, literally at the play by mansion when they were like 20, 21, like well, so it, young, so young, but obviously that is the age when a lot of girls are going out and going to clubs and going to parties and yeah. partying. And it's not, I mean, I can understand how it happens. I can understand how it happens as well. It's just Playboy just felt extremely like X-rated. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is the show didn't, and I never even thought about them being intimate with with Hugh Hefner. Honestly, it was like a really? question in my mind that it even happened. Yeah. He's okay. just portrayed as like the founder of Playboy, who's like this nice grandfatherly figure who they take right, trips who they, with. Who they like pretend to like adore or like maybe right. adore in a, in a loving in a weird grandfather way or something you know where it's it's like they're playing a part correct totally so anyway I think we covered that but I will say though that obviously it was clear that Hugh Hefner was a misogynist like obviously mm-hmm. it was clear that this guy who is 80 with only 20 20 to you know 35 year olds as his right. girlfriends was not good for women and mm-hmm. I think it was obvious to me that Playboy was not a good thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't think I, 
I mean, before I watch this documentary, I don't think that my feelings toward Playboy were that it was in any way responsible for liberating women and their sexuality. If anything, I thought it was responsible for like, you know, perpetuating gross standards of beauty. Um, It's not like Betty for Dan. Like, no, (laughs) sorry. It's like, it's literally putting patriarchal standards of beauty and preening for the male gaze on a pedestal. That's actually what Playboy is all about. Well, and there's only type one type of desirable woman, which is like a yeah, ex- thin, extremely young. blonde white yep. woman, essentially platinum blonde plat. Like the, that was the, one of the crazier things to me was just the degree of platinum blonde that he liked. It was like one of the shocking parts of the documentary. Yes. Like no weaves. It has to be all hundred no. percent bleach, literally completely bleached. Like heaven forbid you get a highlight. You're out of there. You're out of no the low lights. No, no. No root lift. No, it's it's just straight bleach on the scalp. Right. But anyway, I want to say, though, I think the one of the issues I have with the documentary is that it kind of constructs, in my opinion, a little bit of a straw man where it kind of says that Hugh Hefner was regarded as this, you know, great figure and mm-hmm. playboy as this, you know, liberator of sexuality or female sexuality. When, in fact, I think it's strange credulity that anyone actually felt that way. Well, you have this feeling. Yes, I I feel I I feel that way. And just to like go into a little bit more of specifics, I feel like it's it was strange to me when they were talking about the bunnies in the club. So there's like the playgirls who like live in the house, playmates. Excuse me. Yeah, there's I'm gonna have to do a lot of helping here. Not those. Sorry, those weren't. No, I meant that in a joking way. So as I'm the Playboy expert, having watched all the girls next door. Okay, nothing to feel ashamed of that you don't know these terms. Okay, go Um, on. But so playmates are girls that got a centerfold in the magazine. So that okay. if you, to be considered a playmate, you actually, this is so embarrassing. You actually got a cover and like a feature. Um, right. And Holly always wanted to be a playmate. That was another thing, but he wouldn't let her be on because she didn't think she was mm-hmm. pretty enough. So yeah. Yeah. Unpack that later. So, so there's the playmates and the people who like the girls who live in the house, girlfriends anyways. Then there are the playboy clubs, which I didn't really know about, frankly. Like, I didn't know that there were Playboy clubs that existed. I kind of thought it was just the magazine in the house. Right. And there were, you know, leagues of beautiful women who worked at the Playboy clubs. As Playboy bunnies. Yeah. As Playboy bunnies. Yeah. Who are like, you know, servers, waitresses. Um, And what was shocking to me was this like spin on that job that was like so liberating for women or that it was just like these women were protected because they were you know, bunnies. And to me, I was just like, this just feel like glorified strippers. Well, no, because so, so that's interesting that you say that because not that I'm a playboy, this is like literally playboy. Well, and I don't mean that. I don't mean, I don't mean for this to sound like I am like looking down on these women at all. I guess that, that did sound like that, but I guess I just mean that I, I didn't think that playboy, the enterprise was offering protection to the women who were like the, serving men in you know bunny costumes in their clubs well you have to think about it so they're not allowed to take their clothes off obviously there wasn't any stripping happening um so yeah also they, were they weren't scantily clad well yeah they're dressed in the the tights and the right. the the bustier the, the one mm-hmm. they're dressed in a beyonce outfit um yeah and bunny ears serving cocktails yeah um but just imagine this so you're not allowed to talk to anyone or no, I'm sorry. You're not allowed to like actually date anyone. No one's allowed to ask you for your number. That's not allowed. But 
like the entire reason they come there is because they're like admiring your beauty. I think there would be something very intoxicating and fun about literally like that's your role is to be the beautiful creature that they're like intoxicated by. I think that would be fun. I'm not saying these women were like victims. I just think yeah. that it's it's a little bit of a stretch for me to believe that there was just this like degree of protection, which is what they hone in on in the documentary. Right. Well, I, I and there wasn't. So they obviously get to where mm-hmm. that act, all those rules flew out the door for VIPs and celebrities and all of that. Um, but I think looking at just the options women had in that time, which was essentially becoming a nurse or a secretary or or become a teacher or a mother. Like that was it. Right. The ability to make probably better money than any of those jobs. And also in a very glamorous way was really attractive to people. Although Mm -hmm. having been a server, that looks utterly horrible. Awful. Awful. I mean, they tell a story about how their feet would swell and hurt so bad from being in the shoes. And I'm sure we're just painfully awful yeah and they would go into the toilet the restroom and then like their feet would be all bloody and then they would soak their shoes in like cool toilet water to help with their feet swelling (laughs) like barbaric and how they would be weighed in there were these strict Mm -hmm. beauty standards like the second someone started um gaining weight or exhibiting signs of aging it was just like they were basically out and and that to me is was like even like to be expected. Like in that day and age, it was so normal to be like, I, you need to lose five pounds. You need to lose 10 pounds. You're too fat. Like that vocabulary and manner of speaking was just so normal Mm -hmm. and not at all frowned upon or like, you know, there was just zero degree of a, you know, a 2020 mentality with that 2022, whatever. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. The, the, the documentary gets into some pretty shocking things that happened to the bunnies and, you know, women that were in that world, essentially. Um, one thing that I think is interesting, kind of going back to the girlfriends though, or do you, did you have anything you wanted to expand on there? No, 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 no. That's great. Okay. One of the things that I think is interesting going back to the girlfriends though, is that, so Holly talks about this in her book, but she doesn't talk about this on the documentary. And I think it's an interesting detail and it's pretty, it's extremely benign compared to everything else that's described. But um, the girlfriends who live with Hef, who um, they have their own rooms, but they live with Hef and they go to all the parties and whatever. They're like his companions. They have a curfew. That's 9 p.m. Um, they do talk mm-hmm. about that on the documentary and they have a weekly allowance. They're not allowed to have jobs or it's like basically so, so strictly disincentivized that they don't, have, none of them work. Yeah. Um, like he tells Kali to quit his job because it makes him insecure that she right. has a job. Anyway. Um, what so I'll just say is another indicator that this was not a person who was fighting for women's rights. <laughs> yeah. And I thought you were going to be like, which makes you think maybe he's not that bad of a guy. Um, which I, makes you think maybe he was, you know, onto something. <laughs> yeah. How dare this documentary desecrate this man's memory. <laughs> um, it's just like, we're just have like a workshop episode on how like great the play, the girlfriends had it in the mansion. Literally. Okay, but what an interesting tidbit that I read in the book was that so they got a thousand dollars a week and in cash. And what's interesting is that they to get that money, they all lined up once a week and he paid them each in cash. 
and like handed it to them personally in cash and like they, they it was like a weird like a ceremony almost and she talks okay. about how embarrassing and the like lack of dignity in having to basically preen and like thank him for the money and mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there was just such a weirdness there. Like he just right. loved having them subjugated to him, which totally. I, thought, I thought that detail was very interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Subjugated is the word. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did think it was interesting that he, he, they said that he kissed open mouthed and that reminded me of Keith Raniere. Keith Raniere mm-hmm. kissed even acquaintances. Mm-hmm. Like he would kiss a romantic partner, you know, with an open mouth, which is so strange or on the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. Super gross. Very strange, weird power sex thing all wrapped up together. Right. Um, I think what was crazy to me was the Jennifer Sagnor story Mm -hmm. and just that there was, um, a child in the playboy mansion. Right. Like, I mean, you know, we just obviously grew up like pretty sheltered. And so the idea that there were like that some, so basically Jennifer Sagnor, um, her father was Hughes Hefner's personal doctor who I guess right. lived in the mansion. Right. And so that made, that meant that she, I think he had like primary custody of her. Like she essentially grew up in the mansion. Like, I don't know how big this house is, but like, just sounds like it's, it's massive because there's enough room for like multiple families to like live there. And, and she would, you know, watch from above in the staircase, these parties and open doors and see extremely graphic things and I just, I can't fathom being a parent and exposing your kid to that, like, right. and, and not having any type of foresight to think maybe this is not the best place for a child. I'm not the best place for like women in general, let alone a, like a young girl. Well, one of the things that they talk about is that really the mansion, a lot of the time, most of the time, except in the private bedrooms had a very kind of more wholesome envi- environment. Um, there mm-hmm. wasn't raunchy behavior going on. It mm-hmm. was, it seemed a, a lo- all much more kind of above board. And so I can kind yeah. of understand how, how that transpired. Yeah. Um, so just uh, to, you know, go back on that really quick, or just to, that made me think of the fact that there are cameras also everywhere. So maybe the common areas are a little bit more benign or just normal, but within the private bedrooms and obviously the common areas, there are microphones and cameras everywhere. Yeah. Which, Which is, is utterly yeah. terrifying. Just the playbook of someone trying to control other people. Yes. The yes. Jeffrey Epstein playbook, you know, um, trying to get people in compromising situations recorded and then being able to blackmail them later. I mean, it's why I wear a hot mic and a hidden camera whenever I'm visiting you. Um, unfortunately you're extremely 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 normal though Chandler's like (laughs) literally the most normal person um not I guess I I don't know what deviant behavior I would expect but you just have no you just don't have any gross habits like if you looked at a person living in like an anthropology ad that's like you inside your apartment it's like oh my gosh a candle there's never something out of out of place (laughs) just always in her like cute cozy jammies it's always pristine no, hardly. Wow. It's so nice. Um, yeah. Apartment tour coming soon, everyone, as soon as I can find some decent lighting. Anyways, um, anyways we get way more into it with Kate and she drops, I mean, you guys, okay. So I was going to put this at the top of the episode, but I'm just going to record it now. Major trigger warning. So 
Major, major trigger warning. This episode contains mentions of explicit sexual acts is very much not safe for work, not safe probably for mom and dad, John and Deb. So once we start talking about Playboy, I would probably turn it off mom and dad. So just so you know, and we love you. And we, we despise, we despise it for the record. We abhor and despise it. A hundred percent. Any mentions come a long way condone any oh yeah any mention of any behavior does not condone that behavior right and then what else do we need to get to before we any other administrative stuff um okay i should tease sister wives with ash a little bit okay let's talk about that first i want to say though the giveaway the giveaway is a hundred percent working it's so helpful everyone so please enter so to enter you simply post a story on your Instagram, tag us, telling your friends about pop apologists and please include a link. It's required that you include a link to the show so that people can click and listen. And then it's also required that you do not mention that the story is part of a giveaway because I think it kind of invalidates that referral, which hopefully you would give anyway, um, or, or recommendation. So that's how you enter. We're giving away a walking pad. It's, this is, is going to be live through February. And then Chandler, let's talk about what we have going on for the Patreon. Yeah. So this Friday, there will be a bonus episode with our sister Ash, uh, all about sister wives, because this season has gone off the rails it's literally a family crumbling before our eyes and there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to dig into. So it's also like, I will say it's like COVID porn where it's just like every episode is about how they're dealing with COVID. So buckle up for that. The real juice comes at the end. It's as Melinda Gates would say, um, watching a marriage that is irretrievably broken. Um, the, her poetic language Those words are so chilling, <laughs> so chilling. So yeah, we're going to be talking all things sister wives. We have not recorded it yet, but if you know her sister, Ashley, it'll probably get weird too. Like it'll mm-hmm, probably mm-hmm. get, there will be strange commentary on it'll, it'll cover other stuff too. So it's going to be a fun bonus episode. I'm hundred percent sure of it. And then this, this month I'm going to do a solo episode from traveling. And then we're going to also have another episode together. So it's a pretty packed Patreon month. If you're interested, you can sign up at the link in our show notes. Sorry, mom. Sorry, mom for plugging the Patreon. Oh, I would like to also just issue one, one declaration before Mm -hmm. I leave. My own podcast is trying to cancel me. I wake up to reels of myself where I am (laughs) under the influence and I'm speaking about big pharma. And this is just kind of interesting because this is coming off the heels of me talking about how much I love the show dope sick and found it to be really enlightening. So Lauren literally made me look bad today with this reel. No, I didn't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Lauren just, you know. It's just some, it's getting me canceled. I mean, is that um, not a piece of art that real? Honestly, I was so high in that video. All of those words were true at the moment. Like I literally was, I, I don't think I'd ever take in, take, takes in, I don't think I'd ever taken, I think it was oxycodone that I was on or whatever, whatever you can take now. I don't know if they're still sell oxycotton, but it was an oxy of sorts and yeah. it was the most glorious high and not even a high, but just like, I felt elated. And so for me to, uh, to say all those words about loving big pharma and, you know, it was mainly an ode to also doctors. I think I say that I have the utmost respect for people who take the Hippocratic oath. Um, you know, it's a love letter to modern medicine. And I just want to say that, um, the opioid epidemic is real and I am, I don't want to trigger anybody and I'm sorry, 
but I did have a delightful time after getting my wisdom teeth out. And it really was, I will say the best $300 I've ever spent. I clearly don't do drugs very often. And I did get a a delicious high from it. And I'm sorry. Um, I don't, there's nothing I can get you canceled about that video. Your video was literally like seeing the praises of big pharma. I'm pretty sure that's a good thing. Let, let the record say that I do rebuke the Sacklers. Okay. Okay. I see. That's how you're amending it. Okay. Well, in today's day and age, Shan, um, it's actually cancelable to be questionable at big pharma. So you got to get it straight. You really, (laughs) your own worst enemy. Okay. Here. Anyways, I just, that was a lovely thing to wake up to. How did you find the mom send you that footage or did you take it from mom's Instagram? I took it from mom's Instagram and, um, I will say that anyway, that oh, I, won't, I won't get into it. No, say, um, it. It say it. No, it's, it's kind of boring. Making reels is extremely frustrating and it's a very, the, the pro the, there's so much, no offense broken about the app and the process. Mm-hmm. You yeah. cannot edit captions. It doesn't save your edits. There's so much literally terrible about making reels and in Instagram. So if you do make TikToks, you do make reels, please let me know any workarounds, any apps you use to make those videos. If you prefer making them on TikTok, because truly I made that video like three times. And then the reason I posted it without asking you is because I knew I was going to lose it if I didn't just post. Right. And so that's, that's why that's the backstory. Well, you know, I've yet to have you take it down. So we'll see how long it lasts. Yeah, we'll see. Okay. Love you. Love you, everyone. Thank you for listening. And now we're going to cut to our interview with Kate Casey, which is so good. So please enjoy. Enjoy. Bye. Bye. Okay. Today we have the honor to be joined at last (laughs) once again by the one and only Kate Casey of Reality Life with Kate Casey, the hit podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. We're so happy to have you back. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? I love being back. I love your Instagram. I love to see what you guys are watching. I love looking at your golden blonde hair and your posts. So all of the, I love it all. <laughs> Thank you. That's really kind. You, we were chatting before the show and you were saying that you basically do not have a stomach for vanity of any kind. So the fact mm-hmm. that you still follow our account on Instagram yes. is benevolent. <laughs> I benevolent. mean, if Lauren, if Lauren hasn't turned you off by this point, I don't know what will. <laughs> Well, I always took it as like sarcasm, like you're like you're being tongue in cheek. Am I wrong? You're not like no. doing videos and you're like, dear God, um, I don't know why I was blessed with these great looks, but I'm going <laughs> to let the world know it. We I'm just saying we Chandler and I are very much vain bitches. Like you'll never see a video of us in poor lighting. You'll yeah. never see a video of us, you know, well, from the bad angle. We definitely, you know. We are not post videos of me in bad lighting or bad angles. Never for self though. Of course not. Heaven forbid. I think it's also, you guys are younger than me. And I think that I was raised at a time where vanity was frowned upon. It was like when I was growing up, if someone said that person is so vain, you'd be horrified. Like that is a piece of shit person. Mm -hmm. But something changed with social media where like I would, you will never see me take a selfie. You just won't because that would be, and maybe this is like a Northeastern thing where I grew up. That would be like people, I would be, I I'm always cognizant of people like, Oh my God, who does she think she is? That's so right. ridiculous. But for some reason with, um, after Kim Kardashian started doing selfies, like 
The, if, if I see somebody in a bathroom or in front of a mirror taking a picture of their outfit, I'm cringing inside. I'm like, ay, 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 because <laughs> my friend group or my, oh God, my sister, especially be like, Ricky, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> No, I mean, I remember in middle school when it used to be embarrassing to be called conceited. Like that would be one of the worst. Yeah. Things that that's what I'm saying. Call Being yeah. called conceited would be the worst. Also, what is someone supposed to write when they see a picture of you in a bathroom taking a picture of your outfit? Like, hey girl, love your legs. I mean, that would work. I think I would try. Yeah. It is not easy to come up with a relatable caption on a really hot thirst trap of yourself. It's honestly the eternal struggle that I deal with. Absolutely. Okay, my, my niece is in college and she has the dumbest captions. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I hope like the dumbest. dumbest. <laughs> Can I tell it's you an, something? I'm going yeah. to college or I'm going to parents weekend. I do not have children that are in college or anywhere near it. My sister has had kids way before me. And my okay. niece is a freshman in college. She goes to this college in LA now. I'm going to parents weekend. And I've already told her and her friends. I'm like, I just want to prepare you for what I'm about to bring for parents weekend. <laughs> I am going to live every college dream that I have not been able to fulfill in a long time and rock oh it. God. I was like, I'm going to sorority parties. I'm going uh-huh. to fraternity parties. I'm going to uh-huh. the bars. I'm going to leave that goddamn school with about 17 sweatshirts of every fraternity. <laughs> We're going to make this thing happen. My sister's like, calm down, loser. I'm like, no, 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 no. I've been home with children. This is my dream. Oh my god! I can't wait. She's- it sounds like the I, setup for, for some sort of like, I know Judd Apatow sort of like, movie. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I've already thought about it. <laughs> so funny. I, I will say, um, when it comes to the, the thirst trap comment thing, I will say that it's inversely correlated where, you, you know, the thirstier your picture, the better your caption better be to right. justify it. Right. Which so that's like, why oh. when you're, when you're at parents weekend, maybe you, that could be something you help the kids hmm. with mm-hmm. a lesson for them. I would, I'm, I, I would, Great. this is my recommendation for anyone who's going to do a thirst trap photo. I would just use a quote that has absolutely <laughs> nothing to do with it. And by the <laughs> smartest person they could find like, David Thoreau or something <laughs> just like what this actually sounds like, like something Lauren has done I don't like my the caption where oh. there's no where there's all lowercase yeah misspellings oh, and no and no punctuation it'll be like oh, what Chandler's you guilty of you, that I mean gal, lowercase like, and then no punctuation I've been oh my caught. god I hate it I hate it <laughs> and then a, and an emoji that makes zero sense like a, <gasps> oh, like like a unicorn then a salsa dancer and then a cheeseburger and you're like wait what well it's all an attempt to just be like quirky and relatable oh my god it's all a facade I looked at someone's Instagram um bio and I thought actually that's pretty cool it was like theoretically oh god what was it oh my god I'm not gonna tell you the name of it what I tell you afterwards because just because I don't want someone to be like what are you stalking me you freak um (laughs) this was their bio and I was like that is kind of amazing um it's the child of a a famous (laughs) 90210 star okay okay theoretically an influencer I'm like okay good I liked it certified gay like it then he wrote subjectively hilarious nailed it and then the last line is (laughs) potentially iconic wow i was like wow well played sir let me run through that theoretically an influencer certified gay subjectively hilarious potentially iconic 
I'm Can literally losing that. Can you buy a TV rights yeah. deal? That's wow. incredible. Every single one of those could be titles of podcasts. Like, absolutely. Phenomenal. Oh my god. Potentially gosh. iconic, subjectively hilarious, theoretically oh. an influencer. We are always perpetually thinking of changing our podcast name. So now we're just going to, when you give us this username, we can know we can go there for brainstorming. Well, and what always wants to change it to something stupid, like sister talk. (laughs) Yeah, that's not, no, 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 no. What about, uh, potentially something that's like over the top potential Olympians, potential Potential Pulitzer, potentially canceled. No, 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 that's negative. No, that's (laughs) like. No one's going to listen to that. Potentially okay, canceled. Okay, this is a writer's room. Safe space. Yeah. Okay. No, we'll we'll save the brainstorming for Pop Apologist later because we, I really, I want to have you on to talk about your thoughts on all things reality TV, all things okay. what's going on right now with Playboy. But I also really want to know something very specific about you that I'm super okay. curious about. So let's refocus on Kate Casey, non-Pop yes. Okay. Yes. Um. Because I'm so curious, you went to like a very strict boarding school, right? Very, yep. And this is completely foreign to two girls who went to Orange County Public Schools. So dying to know how you ended up there and what that experience was like. So when my mom, my parents, my parents, what's up Philadelphia in the house? Um, They were separated by the time I was born. My mom remarries this gentleman. That's a loosely used term (laughs) um, named Joe. Joe had every, every physical ailment known to man, which was astonishing that he lived so long because he was the meanest piece of shit person ever. Um, just like a mean curmudgeon and would always say things like your father didn't want you and neither do I find somewhere else to live. So my old, I have an older sister. I have two half sisters that I never speak about because they're losers. Um, and I have (laughs) an older full sister. So I had, there are four girls. And the two middle ones have the same dad. The, the oldest and the youngest have a different dad. Y- you're following me. It's like, it's shit show. Yeah. Okay. I'm writing so, it down. We're good with genealogy. So the oldest one moment. moves home or moves out of the house because she's 10 years older. Okay. Then Meg- Megan and I are at home. And then my mom has a daughter with the stepdad. So he's like, I don't want these two to live here. So my mom, who doesn't have a job, just like makes like kids clothes and chocolate and stuff, doesn't have enough money and is like, uh, what do I do? So someone recommends the school called the Milton Hershey school. And so Megan, went Hershey, there Pennsylvania. Yes. So Megan went there first <gasps> and then I went. So this backstory on the school is that Milton Hershey, the chocolate magnet, he and his wife uh, could never have children of her own. I mean, I heard that she had an STD back in the day and that was the contributor, the contributing factor. I don't know that for sure, but his whole family had died off. She didn't have any family. So it's this couple, they can't have any kids. So the crux uh, was like, what do I do with this massive amount of wealth? Mm -hmm. So he does this interview with the New York Times and they say, what is going to happen to the Hershey fortune? And he says, the heirs of my fortune will be the boys of the Hershey Industrial School. So at that point, he had started the school for orphaned boys. And after he died, the the entire fortune went to the school. The school owns 72% of the holding stock of Hershey Foods, Entertainment, wow. et cetera. So wow. the school chain, after he died, the name of the school, because his wife died first and then he died. Now the name of the school was changed to the Milton Hershey School after him. And in 1976, they decided to admit girls. So the school 
has about at this point, I think 2,400 kids between kindergarten and through 12. In order to Dude, be wow. accepted to that school, you have to be a needy child financially and emotionally. You okay. have to be under a certain income level. All my classmates were from orphaned or single parent families. I mean, I'd the wow. kids in my school are uh, from the inner city. I might read Lori Kirsch's parents died of cancer a year between uh, apart. Uh, Mimi, Mimi song was smuggled out of North Korea. Um, there were girls. I mean, my classmates have names like um, Ododo Amasagi, Mama D. George, Taliba Snell, Kiwana Wilson. Um, and then, oh my gosh. So it was this incredible experience because you're living there and it was very strict. We had chores. So the normal day I would wake up and do a chore, like a morning chore at 530 vacuuming, cleaning the bathrooms, like all of that stuff. Then we'd uh-huh. have breakfast together then a chore after breakfast, go to school, activities, come home, dinner, after dinner, chore, and then homework. And then you go to bed. And then on the weekends, you could go into the town of Hershey, but the people in the town of Hershey hated us, even though we're the reason for the chocolate factory and all of that, that usually employs them. And they used to say right. at, at the big uh, football game, which was the cocoa bean, they Hershey high would go, kids would go. Yes, 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 we do. We've got parents. How about you? <gasps> Yeah. Oh my God. So anyway, the good thing is you become super close to the kids while you're there mm-hmm. because they're like your surrogate families and you live right. in these student homes with house parents. So I lived in a house with 16 girls and they became like my surrogate family. And I've had lots of uh, classmates go on to do incredible things just in my personal class. Disha Dyer went on to become President Obama's social secretary and now teaches at the Kennedy School of Government. Wow. And my friend Algene Sajari is the highest ranking woman and woman of color in national security. So I think that for many of these kids, there's like a a triumph of spirit Mm -hmm. that exists. And then coupled with uh, the experience of being surrounded by other kids that what I have called the wrong door of opportunity um, mm-hmm. have kind of, um, used this life experience to, to go on and do great things. Of course they did that. And I were talking about reality television shows, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there, but yeah, it was a really great experience. And I think that the Mil- the Milton Hershey story is one of the greatest stories not told in schools. And I, everywhere I go, I always encourage parents to get the bio of who is Milton Hershey for their, their library at home. And it's now at the, my kid's school, in second grade in California, you have a unit on heroes. And I'm happy to say that a lot of, a lot of schools now are talking about Milton Hershey as a hero because he really did, did such an incredible thing with that amount of wealth where, yeah. and, by, and by the way, he almost died on the Titanic because they bought tickets and didn't go last minute, which is like, can you imagine the Hershey oh, story yeah. wouldn't be what it is, but right. so the net net is every time you go to the store and you buy Hershey kisses or Hershey chocolate, you are giving an extraordinary opportunity to a child who so badly deserves it. And how what grade were you there from? Yeah, that's incredible. I was there from ninth through 12th grade, but I have friends. My friend Francine was there from elementary school. Wow. And that's like year round, basically. I mean, you could be, I would go home for the summer, but it would be just like, I don't know, like eight weeks or something. But a lot of kids that are really in need would just stay there the whole summer. And would your mom and stepdad come visit? They would, um, my mom would, no, not my stepdad. Hell no. Oh, sorry, um, my, not your stepdad. Yeah. He was like, fuck her. Um, no, <laughs> my mom 
would come visit yeah and she would come and like take me to the olive garden or whatever that it was in okay. town we would eat and then like hang out and sometimes I would go home on weekends but to be honest I didn't want to go home because my stepfather was so mean to me that right. I would prefer to stay at school with my friends or I had a boyfriend and um my house parents what my first set were horrible people horrible people and the set, I remember that my house mother complained, she likes to be the center of attention. And I was like, oh, yeah, because gosh. I've been abandoned by my parents. Right. And right. I just want someone to make me feel like I matter in this world. Yeah. You dumbass. Yeah. Um, but then my second parents, house parents were wonderful. And my house father just passed away this past year. And I had gone back to school right before he died to, te- uh, to speak in front of all the kids and all- for Founders Day. And I told this like really great story about how we, um, one night he's, we used to prank. He was a great pranker. We would been pranking this boy student home for like two months, every single day. <laughs> like another girl would call and prank. And this house father was like, who are these girls? Like, so they found out finally that it was our student home. So he had, Mr. Hal had overheard that they were going to come bomb our student home that night. So he had us pack the port cochet, like the, in the front of the house with all these, um, with items. To, so uh, and then he made up a watch list because he was, he was a vietnam vet he was like okay you're on watch for 20 minutes and so we're all like laying in the living room so i'm on watch and i'm looking through the curtains peeking through and i see 16 boys run over the hill and i screamed get their <laughs> and we ran outside we had hoses we had shaving cream toilet paper he brought out boxes of spaghetti we were throwing spaghetti which in hindsight makes zero sense i don't know why the police were not called it was bananas wait but that sounds amazing it was amazing because all of us were you know really um needing an adult to tell us that they loved us and cared about yeah, us so right. those house parents they really did that and i swear they're like angels from heaven of course there are some house parents that were piece of shits like my first ones but yeah um i think that that's why i love my job and i can i i think i'm a good person to interview somebody because i feel like as much as like i'm a ball buster i'm also very empathetic and having lived at a school like that, you really um, get a very early sense of the world is bigger than yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And no matter how bad I think something has happened in my life, I'm always very cognizant of the, st- the struggle of other people. Mm-hmm. And I've tried to pass that down to my own kids. They go to an IB school, which is an international baccalaureate, right. yeah. because it was the closest way I could duplicate the experience that I had by mm-hmm. putting them in a school with kids who come from other cultures Right. So that they have those really early lessons of the importance of understanding people that live a life outside of the life that you are familiar with. Right. Wow. That is so incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, yeah, it, it's, I just can't understate obviously the importance of how education can help people mm-hmm. transform their lives because I think, you know what it is? A lot it's of people, freedom. It's freedom. Yeah. A lot of people don't, it's difficult because if you don't know what's possible, you can't take action to create a change in your life. And so when you can learn what's actually possible and the way to, to enact that change, it just, yeah, it gives you that freedom. So, so cool. Also such an incredible charitable organization, unlike the charitable organizations we probably are thinking most about these days, like Mary Crosby's church. Um, (laughs) So quite a foil. I think that if more, we're so reliant on government to fix our societal problems. And I think that that was a great early lesson to me was that when somebody is able to build a great company, it's such a great way to like philanthropy is such a great way 
to fix so many problems mm-hmm. right and that corporate corporations have enormous resources right and they don't have the red tape that we you know the problem with government is people from business they try to become a politician and then they're overwhelmed by the red tape and right. they can't, you know they can't maneuver through that and that's the blessing of somebody who builds a great corporation is that they can do so many charitable acts within their community or their country or their world without the headache of red tape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So interesting. Well, I'm okay. So just taking a little bit of a sharp left turn because we have you for a very short amount of time. We're dying to get your thoughts on some hot topics that have recently come up and we wanted to f- to talk about secrets of playboy because we're watching that and absolutely riveted but before we get to that just briefly would love top line are you watching orange county this season i think you're not, not but are you okay i'm so not you're fully not. out of the loop mm-hmm. you have no thoughts on heather dupro versus noella i mean i could a little bit um i am not because i just gave uh, the the orange county women have never been able to do podcast interviews and I'm just like, you know what? I'm sick of watching it. If I'm never going to interview somebody, what's the point? And the mm-hmm, irony is my one friend is on the show. <laughs> like yeah. close friend, like somebody in my inner orbit. Like my kids are sleep over at their house and stuff. Like, um, and I, I actually had recommended her for the show too. And that's Jen, Dr. Jen. Mm, yeah, um, I, I think I listened to one of your podcasts where you were talking about that. Um, yeah. Okay, so, so, okay. So, but you are peripheral to it obviously. Well, I, I mean, I do. Yeah. Because I know, and I, you know, I know Bronwyn and she would, she'd invite me to places like, Oh, you do want to hang out with Noella? And I was like, I just don't think she's my vibe. I don't know. I was like, eh. So I never, I've never actually met her before. Um, but I do know that during the course of filming that Jenny would be like, she's a lot, she's a lot, but Jenny's so focused on work and has like little, space for other things it's not like she's like you know your friends like god I, I, I went out to that party and then she was there like it, it wasn't ever like that because they never spent time outside of filming but okay, she said during the duration of filming she was like this woman is a lot she said every yeah. time you're in a room she sucks all the air out you she you, you'd never mm-hmm. get a straight story and she's like mm-hmm. it's just too much it's too much so I think that Noella was somebody, this is just my opinion from afar, is that she was somebody who had wanted to be on the show for a long time. I mean, I think she's been pretty out about that. Like she watched right. the show. She was like a super yeah. fan, knew Vicky, then friended Bronwyn. And I think that she probably didn't, it, it's not what she had expected it to be. And mm-hmm. she thought that she could finesse it a little bit better. I think a lot of women start the show and then they think that they are the the most extraordinary person that ever walked the earth and to be that consumed by oneself and have to be in an ensemble it takes a long time for them to calibrate to that so I think that that's a problem and I also think that Heather is um from what I've heard is that she is number one is zero time for Noella but Mm -hmm. she is more clever because she understands the value of being on a show she's on the show to move product right right noella is on to become a television personality so Mm -hmm. they both have very different goals Mm -hmm. like heather's like you know you could be crazy all day long but i'm going to leave the set and i'm going to go back to my regular life 
So I don't think she takes anything, any of this personally. And she like, once she leaves filming and gets in her car, she um, can disengage. She just says she wants to help move her, her, the products that their family, you know, their skincare stuff, the daughter's book, like, so they just have very different goals. And I think that overall, I've always kind of felt like the problem with OC, especially living here is that they're not real friendships. They're like, Mm -hmm. and you'd be witness to like Jenny and Bronwyn. It's like, they don't exist in each other's lives outside of filming. And that's why other shows are far more successful. Like Miami, you see that they, I mean, Marisol, Alexia, like they all have known each other for so long that when they fight, you have more empathy because you know that there is much more history there and more Mm -hmm. at stake versus a bunch of people who are I'm sorry, not all that interesting personally. Right. Yeah. It's like watching randos at a party. Like, would you want a reality show about randos sitting at a like a table at a Mexican restaurant? You'd be like, who are these weirdos? <laughs> That's basically well, exactly. to me what Orange County is. I like. just think, yeah, there's not a great cast chemistry. Yeah. And I and, and, dr- and also living here, I'm like, there's so many more interesting people to hear than these girls. Right. Right. And I think that when all the drama is fabricated, clearly is fabricated, clearly is histrionics for a show, then there's less investment from the audience because there's, as you said, less at stake. So that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Thoughts on the Lisa Barlow hot mic moment. Okay. I took issue with so many people on Twitter calling that an iconic moment. And my yeah. friend Carlos King agreed with me. He's the guy who made me NeNe Leaks. He like makes made a ton of real like the best episodes of Real Housewives of Atlanta you've ever watched. He was the producer. Okay, so he and I agree that's not an iconic moment because she was cowardly. She took that moment to to bitch to a producer. It would be Mm -hmm. iconic if she had said that to her directly. Right. That's the that's the difference. That is not iconic. I think everybody misuses the word iconic so much. It's like. Jesus Christ, every scene would be iconic in the eyes of so many people. It's like, what are the moments where you're like, holy shit, what makes Nini and Sheree so unbelievably iconic is that they would have no qualms with confronting someone the way that Nini would confront Kim, the way Sheree confronted the Uh guy about the planning, the party planning. That's iconic because that is a woman, woman's power, right? The epitome of power. To me, that's not a powerful moment where you are unable to confront people, which you're paid to do. Mm-hmm. And instead you run into a room and bitch to a producer and then take your mic off and throw it. That to me is like cowardly. Well, and also um, I heard that I heard that she didn't think she was mic'd and she had turned oh, off on. her mic or something. So she apparently she and the, the producer- the the mic is on your back. It's really hard. That's why I remember in the, in the, um, the scene where Jen was about to get arrested. Remember she asked Whitney, she's yes. like, can you help me turn off my mic? Right. You can't turn it off by yourself. That's interesting. Nice try. Jeff Lewis on his show, he said that Lisa Barlow told him that her, like the mic was completely not on her and her, and she begged her producer and was like, are you mic'd? Are you mic'd? And he said, no. And it really was the producer's mic. Producer who, was mic'd. Yeah. Who picked it up. So that's interesting. 
okay, but still you like you're on a television set. Right. You save that for the car when you're talking to your husband on a speakerphone, when you're glazing <laughs> away in your Range Rover with a Diet Coke and a Taco Bell bag beside you. Right. I mean, you're, you're still in the game, friend. This like bitching that, you know, you bitched out the coach when you're on the sideline of the game. Yeah. You're still yeah, there, man. That's true. That's true. Okay. So another question, another topic. Um, That was a very good hot take on the Lisa Barlow moment. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, okay. But I'm curious when Chandler and I went, we went to watch what happens live soft flex with Heather gay and we're in the green room oh, right, and, right. and Andy made this comment when we were winning, we were there and he basically said, it's so interesting how people hate Erica Jane. And when it comes to Jen Shaw and Erica Jane was not the perpetrator of any crimes you know, the most she's guilty of is knowing about it and right. mm-hmm. and flaunting wealth and being extremely callous and all that. But um, what he I said know, is that I, what's interesting. I know. I know the exact reason why though. Okay. Why? Like, why do people hate Erica Jane and why are they because she basically tepid around Jen Shaw? She lives in Beverly Hills, California. She goes shopping in Dubai and, and gets whatever bag. It, it is wealth beyond measure to the common viewer. Jen but, lives yeah. Jen lives in the suburbs of Salt Lake City in a rental house. She does not present herself as somebody who has a private jet, who knows everybody. You get the sense that the the most the, the the most wealthy friend or celebrity friend of theirs are just the people that she's on the show with. Mm-hmm. But with with Erica you see her with the governor. She's performing right. at Christina Aguilera's party. She's got Chagall's on the, on the, on her walls of her mansion. They are living mm-hmm. two very different lives in the sense of the wealth and the mm-hmm. access to power. Jen, you get the sense she goes to jail and her husband's going to be living, you know, in, back in like, you know, just the a condo. Yeah, like it's not going to be that much of a change because everything that we we already were in on it. Like she's like presenting herself as this like right quasi wealthy person but we knew the whole time it was more of a shock to find out that erica who has Mm -hmm. access to two private jets that that was all fake it was much more of a steep um uh fall from great from you know that one is more that that erica jane is a riches to rag story but jen is a rag rags to rags adjacent story yeah and fake and yeah fake yeah like fake riches to rags or whatever i mean and i yeah. think also like erica jane like tom was an esteemed member of the community like there's a betrayal there oh for sure that jen and, doesn't have and and also there's good feelings about jen's husband he's respected mm-hmm. as a football coach i don't know anybody that i know in utah has said nothing but really nice things about you don't get the sense that this is a, a fan she's the, the lone weirdo in that family yeah. like her kids are right. sweet you don't know anything about Erica Jane personally. She presents herself as extremely cold. Mm-hmm. You never see her son. We all we knew from her book was that she was willing to give up parental rights to some degree, right? Um, with her, uh, with the son's father in New Jersey, so she could become a waitress in California and then marry like a wealthy guy in Stilton. There are so many things across Erica's story which rubs women the wrong way. 
Interesting. Whereas yeah. Jen just looks like somebody who was in an MLM and took it too far. So basically, I think the core of what you're saying is that there's less, not, I mean, orders of magnitude, less jealousy of Jen. Than I there also was think that you're going to have empathy for a Polynesian woman who's married to right. a black man who has converted to um, Islam, right? Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. yeah. Who's now yeah. Muslim, practicing Muslim. You have empathy because you know her life has not been easy. Whereas mm-hmm. you see a woman, a white woman, who has not a line on her face she has all these assistants she has a a closet full and you know nothing about her personally like there's no room for empathy in the life of erica where there's much more for jen well and i'll also say that jen seems like a fun time well heather will tell you that she's like it's hard to it's hard to remember that she may or may not have committed a crime because she's really fun i mean i was when i was interviewing her jen facetimed her like three times i was like oh my god yeah what stop like seems like a real girlfriend real pal you know maybe yeah, compromise but, what I but yeah fascinating about jen shaw is like she do- doesn't seem to take any of it seriously mm-hmm. and it's almost like she's like arrested development or something yeah I'm like, like a hello personality disorder yes 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 yeah yeah interesting i that's the okay, that's almost, fascinating. But she almost like love bombs her friends. Well, like, what's hey, it's weird girl, gifts? Hey, what's up? Yeah. Hey, buying them gifts, calling them all yeah. the time. Hi, it's me. Just checking on you. And if you're somebody who's supremely busy or fragile or anything, that could be very intoxicating. Right. Right. We did one of our friends is friends with her or was on the show, Angie Harrington. And yeah, she said that Jen is when she's fun, she's more fun than anyone else, like the most fun. So yeah, I think that that, that all tracks. Sense. Okay. Right. So we have seven minutes left and we do really <laughs> want to talk about um, secrets of Playboy. So let's just try to get through Ooh, what we can. Juicy. Do you know, I watched all 10 episodes in one day. <gasps> I'm not did. kidding. You. <sighs> okay. One so this is day. Bananas. This is where we've only seen three episodes and I've heard it's a doozy. that it gets much worse at the end. It does. It does. Okay. Every okay. single episode, it gets more and more and more. I think for some people, I don't know why A&E sometimes, I don't know if they're the best at this, is that they, the first two episodes of something are kind of like, eh, and then people kind of give up. I'm telling you, you've got to stay the course. It's the same this thing is- with Cosby. You have yeah. to like stay the course. So the episodes get more and more and more intense. Um, there are in the upcoming episodes, there's one where they, they discuss the drugs that happened at the okay. mansion and how they were able mm-hmm. to cover it up. Remember the, the police department, yep. all the, all enforcement parties are complicit because there are video cameras and mics all over the Playboy mm-hmm. mansion. Mm-hmm. So very Jeffrey Epstein, it's very Epstein ish. So there's there, it's pregnant with possibilities for blackmail mm-hmm. um and and also people were intoxicated by not just hefner but the celebrity lifestyle like access to the playboy mansion you know right people wanted to go to a party there totally and, and mm-hmm. then also in some ways they were very good about hiding the worst parts in private more private places so there was if you did get to the playboy mansion maybe you were only able access to certain parts of the mansion but the awful things were happening mostly in the bedrooms so for jennifer saginor who grew up in the playboy mansion because her father was the doctor 
she said that Ugh. you know she'd wander through the house at like 10 and open a bedroom door and see an orgy or people right. doing lines of cocaine or worse um, well and the also, orgy she described was so degrading to women beyond, beyond degrading yeah. and then in the further episodes you'll hear about how um linda lovelace who was a, like a porn star yeah. at the time how they drugged her the the common drug at the time was quaaludes which they mm-hmm. called leg spreaders so they yep. gave her drugs and then a bunch of men watched as she performed oral on a German shepherd. No. The, degra- the degradation was beyond measure. <gasps> there also That's were horrific. these small little units off the property where women were taken. There were uh, uh, some twins that were um, yes. allegedly yeah. raped and drugged and sodomized. Mm-hmm. And then the person that did that was allowed back at the mansion the following week. Right. Um, yeah. Also, I got an overarching sense of this as I watched it. And I say this to Jennifer in the interview with I have with her, I believe, is that in the end, the most interesting thing to me is that Hefner had this world where women were all around him. And he almost got to a point, I, I got the sense that the acts of sex in the orgies or even watching the women, because often he wanted to just watch for two mm-hmm. reasons i think that he got to a point where nothing stimulated him he had yeah. used copious amounts of viagra but like when you have that much sex you just get to a point where you're like nothing well, stimulates you stops working at some point but yeah and he's getting older but the act of sex i believe was more of a power move because right. i think that the the truth was that there were two men that were always with him and lived in the mansion one's name was john Duarte I believe and the other was Mark his personal doctor who lived in the mansion with him and Mm -hmm. there was a period of time where he had a little bit of a falling out with Mark only because the 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 law enforcement was on to the drugs and there was an investigation by the drug enforcement agency however Mark although found to be probably prescribing you know drugs um, they only sent him to rehab that he never went to jail you imagine all the drug use at the Playboy Mansion. It was like a slap on the wrist. But yeah. Mark then moves back into the Playboy Mansion. And when Hefner died, it was Mark who was beside him. And we do know through the series that, that they participated in a lot of orgies with him too. I think that Hefner's true love was his friend Mark. I think that that was the truest love of his life. And I really? think that all the sex that he had with the women was just an act of power. Interesting. Yeah, because they they do talk about that he had that longstanding homosexual relationship. So yeah. there, yeah, I mean that. And then that also, is completely when Jennifer's when Jennifer's dad got married, because after Hefner dies, he marries some young girl. Like, of course, like what twenty right. year old wants to marry like an eighty year old? And they show fo- video and photos from Mark's wedding. And there are giant life-size pictures of Hefner all over the wedding and they're all wearing Stop. their Playboy pins. Yeah. I'm like, he's loved. Mm. That was his, that they were lovers. They were, that was the true love. So he wanted to present himself as this Lothario with all these girlfriends. But I right. think at night, the one he wanted to be with was a man, which I just found really interesting. But yeah. the, net, the net net is this. Women who went there, I, there's, I hear this all the time. They knew what they were asking for. I don't know, maybe some did. However, for the most part, young women from different parts of the country went there thinking, I'm going to go to a party and then I'm going to be able to be in a magazine and that's going to launch a career because they saw Mm -hmm. the success of Pamela Anderson or Jenny McCarthy. And the truth was they got there and they were often drugged 
and they were pushed to engage in sexual activities the first night at the mansion. And it was incredibly traumatic and set forth a sequence of events that put women into dangerous situations or led them into a life of therapy because of traumatic experience at that Playboy mansion. The women that were that lived there and were subjected to um, orgies and, and, and drugging, et cetera, deserve to have a voice. And I think that that's what's so great about this series is that it's lifting the veil on not only who Hugh Hefner was, the orbit of men that were in, you know, around him, but also what Playboy Enterprises was really like for the women who worked there and, yeah. um, and, and you know, were around it for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And you'll note that in the 90s, he got married to Kimberly Conrad and that they, you know, they had kids and there was a period of time when Jenny McCarthy had been in that, um, you know, in around that company where there, none of this was going on. And those women mm-hmm. kind of escaped all of that. And I think a lot of that had to do with the, the with the drug enforcement agency really um, investigating them and also the AIDS epidemic where it was bad for business right. to have AIDS or STDs. So um, there was a period of time where he was quiet and he just was, you know, and then, and then he had the girl that show girls next door, which I, by all means, there are people that love that show. I think that you will look back at that show with a completely different lens after watching this series. Well, I, I, I know you have to go. So I, I do, I've so, so much to say. It's wild, but I know you have to go. I know you have to uh, take Hayes to soccer. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Truly. This has been phenomenal and we just have to have you back. Yes, absolutely. I need people to go and to sign up for my newsletter. If you go to kkc.substack.com, I, every week I'm going to give you a list of what you need to watch each week. And yes. I need you to do that because it's easy okay. to just watch the bachelor or Joe Millionaire, or Real Housewives. But there are so many great things on different streaming networks and channels that are important. Like my next guest is Dominique Dawes, the gymnast, and she executive produced Golden, which was about the elite athletes, um, gymnasts at the Olympics. And so I interviewed her and that episode comes out Wednesday and she talks about the abuse within the gymnastics community. She names her coach and says, she abused me. And this this is separate from Larry Nassar separate from Larry Nasser. She says, she abused me. And she says, this is what parents need to know. This is wow. why gymnastics needs to change. So there are really important docu-series that have to do with social justice issues that mm-hmm. I, I want people to watch because, you know, it's so fun to watch these reality shows and kind of pick them apart, but there's some other incredible content that is out there and you just, um, you know, you need, sometimes it's hard to find it. So I just feel like I'm your tour guide. I'm the captain of the ship. Amazing. I, <laughs> hey. I'm calling shows from all these networks. I'm going to find you things in every genre that are worth your time. I'm going to do an episode next week about the best sports documentaries to watch. There's so many good things like your homework. It would be to watch Icarus, which is a crazy documentary about it. Um, an actor who wanted, who was a cyclist and he was like, I want to, I'm going to duplicate the doping schedule of Lance Armstrong, because I want to know how I can become a better cyclist because I'm busting my ass and these other people beat me. So he does that. But in the process of it, he gets this Russian doctor to help him with the doping schedule. And he's going to (sighs) like film the whole thing. But that Russian doctor ends up being the whistleblower to the Russian doping scandal. 
So as you see it unfold, it goes from one thing into another where you're like, this guy is going to get murdered. It is the wildest ride. Okay, this it's called, amazing. It's called Icarus. You know, like Icarus flying too close to yeah, the sun. Yeah. I-C-A-R-U-S and it's on Netflix. Okay. I'm just that, say I watched that. that. I tracked that director down. <laughs> I was like, thank God for you. you. I was like, I have to talk to you. And then he went on to make another documentary about the murder of Jamal uh, Kasagi, who was the Saudi diplomat. Remember, he went to the Saudi Arabia to meet with them and then they got murdered. Remember, they chopped him up. Mm-hmm. Um, so he made one after that. Okay. Also, okay. Needs, one I've, last I've, thing about doing the Lord's that's work. interesting. One last yeah. thing that's interesting about the story is like that guy, my friend Jamie Kaler, who's a hilarious um, actor, comedian, he's the one that helped me track that guy down. He was like, oh my God, I used to work in sitcoms with him. So he worked as a sitcom actor. He decides to make this documentary about his own cycling thing. Like, what if I duplicated, you know, the doping thing? He makes this documentary. He gets an Academy Award for it. Then he makes the Jamal Kasagi one. And now he's making all these other things. So one project could totally change the trajectory of your life where you're going from like doing funny sitcom stuff to an Academy Award. And I just find that so inspiring. You don't, you know, it's like, that is so unbelievable. Truly, honestly, your show finds, I can't even tell you how many screenshots I have of right. your what to watch this week. I am oh such my God. a fan. Wait. Everyone wait. needs to follow one, you. Everyone wait, needs to subscribe one more to your stack. Yeah. One more thing. If you're watching the Olympics, I need you to watch this. Okay. You can either get this story from one of two places. I recommend meddling on Peacock TV if you have it. If you don't have Peacock and can't watch meddling, which is four episodes, it is produced by Tara Lipinski and her husband. There's an episode, you can save yourself time if you want to, on Netflix called Bad Sport. It's a series of sports stories. The episode is called Gold War. And it's the same story about the Canadian ice dancers at the, two, at the 2002 Salt Lake Olympics. They were ice skaters who okay. competed against the Russians and the Russians got the gold and they got the silver. And when you watched it, and I remember watching, I was like, that shit's bullshit. Like they, the Canadians absolutely won. The next day you found out the French judge said she was coerced into giving the points to the Russians. And it was part of the whole Russian <gasps> mob. Like, wow. Like, I don't know about half this thing. No, you are going to lose your, you're going to be like, what? It is insane. So you can either watch meddling on Peacock. If you, if you're like, I want to deep dive the shit out of this, then you watch that because it's four episodes and it's okay. beautifully shot. But if you're like, for the sake of time, I just want to bang it out. Then you watch Bad Sport on Netflix and the episode's called Gold War. Okay. And I okay. interviewed my friend, um, Lawrence. I feel like I always know somebody who knows somebody. Lawrence, my friend, turned. I didn't realize this, but he was an Olympic researcher for the ice skating early in his career. So we deep dived in and he knows all the backstories. And the weird thing is the Russians, but by both teams, wonderful people, wonderful and the Russians, she came back from an injury because her previous partner, who was a piece of shit, horrible person, they were skating next to each other doing the parallel spins and he got too close to her and his ice skate went into her head. I'm not even <gasps> kidding you. So they thought she would be paralyzed and she'd never skate again. Well, this strong broad not only came back, she came back and, and got a new partner and went back to the Olympics. Like un- that woman is like strong beyond belief. And then she gets screwed over because the judges, you know, screwed with the judging. Both pairs, wonderful people. Un, unreal. Unbelievable. Yeah. 
yeah, great stories. So anyway, come to my podcast if you want to hear about things that are all over streaming and TV and great. I deep dive way deep dive story. So my next episode is Dominique Dawes, but I'm also going to deep dive Christian Ronaldo's uh, fiance show called I Am Georgina, which is another. Oh my gosh. That's, that's a lot because she's wow. That story, you know, he got like these surrogates. He paid women who are elite athletes mm-hmm. for their eggs and then had surrogates have his babies so that he could have elite athletes. And his oldest son is like an incredible soccer star. But then he has this fiance and she's kind of like, she's like five, five. I'm like, this girl, I mean, they're not going to, you're not going to have elite athletes with this lady. And she's like, I've worked my whole life. I'm like, you met him when you were 22 at a Gucci store. Okay. Like, you didn't work your whole life. Anyway, there's lots to unpack. Thank you so much. Truly. We're so grateful. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. Love you guys. Okay. Love love you. you. Bye. Bye. (laughs) That's all for now, folks. Don't forget, give us a five-star review. Hit us up on Instagram at Apologists, and we will see you next week, live every Wednesday. Do you ever worry about running out of interesting things to say to friends when you actually get to see them? Then we've got the perfect podcast for you. I'm Eve Yohalem, and each week on Book Dreams, my co-host Julie Sternberg and I use books to explore fascinating questions, like what happened when a Harvard professor staked her reputation on an alleged gospel of Jesus's wife that turned out to be fake? And how did debut author Tom Lynn save the American Western by blowing it to bits? Are pigeons rats with wings or wonder birds? And what's the who, what, when, where, how, and especially why of books bound in human skin? Recent and upcoming Book Dreams highlights include conversations with Booker Prize-winning author Marlon James, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Katherine Schultz, and Merlin scholar Dr. Laura Campbell. You can listen to Book Dreams wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. I'm Emily Beerley. And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists, owners of The Therapy Group, and hosts of The Shrink Chicks Podcast. Every week, we bring you a new episode where we dive into therapeutic topics like inner child work, dating anxiety, family dynamics, relationships, and burnout. Making them more relatable and understandable, leaving the psychobabble behind. We address the things you've been dying to ask your therapist but don't know how and work to help you stop shooting all over yourself with the expectations society can put on us. Tune in every Monday to Shrink Chicks on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to follow along and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Prepare to learn all about you, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Hey.